welcome back to Hair Metal Memories. We are your hosts. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. Hope you guys are doing good out there. Uh, appreciate it, like all the people like writing into us once again. If you feel like writing into us, we're at hairmetalmemoriesiowa at gmail.com, or you can message us on our Facebook page, as some people do as well. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. It's awesome. It's uh, It keeps us going, actually, Like during, especially during pandemic times like this, where it's sort of like, what are we doing? What's going on? All that stuff. So, um, so thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. We promise someday we will do it in a, in a more regular capacity at some point. Right. I'm not going to say when that is or anything like that, but someday it'll, right. it'll normalize out. So yeah, you we know. we have uh, so, some some challenges in our lives as, as everyone does right now. So, uh, but we're 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 trying to be as regular as possible. We just need more fiber in our diets or something. I don't know. <laughs> Start down some prunes, man. <laughs> so today we're 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 talking about a. This has got to be a certified hair metal classic. This is uh, we're talking yeah. about Def Leppard Def Leppard's Hysteria album and. Uh, this out, uh, we can start out with our hair, hair metal smell test, but I feel pretty confident that this is, this falls into our category. Yeah, do you have any idea? Uh, yes, this, yes. This might be like one of the number. This might be the number one album. It's certainly like top five hair metal albums of all time. Probably, probably yeah. It's, it's got to be up there. <laughs> I mean, just in, by whatever metric you want to use to measure it. Um, even if you're like, even if you listen to it a bazillion times and like you know, and you're tired of it or anything like that. Though it, I've it's been a, through a lot of copies. It's, yeah, it's it's a staple. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it's up there. Um, um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's, I mean, it's just a huge album. We're really excited to be talking about it. Um, yeah, let's dig in. Uh, Def Leppard is, uh, they're, they're one of the first bands in the new wave of British heavy metal, the new wave of British heavy metal movement anyway. Um, they didn't really like that label very much though. They, no, they were always pretty upfront about wanting to be like, you know, the biggest band in the world and all that stuff. I yeah. Mean, yeah. They did not shy away from wanting to be a pop band. So no, I mean... They, it's not that you can't like hear it, like you know, if you listen on through the night or something like that. Yeah, I kind of get where you're coming from with with the new wave of British heavy metal thing. Sure, okay, but yeah, yeah, they they, they never claimed to be particularly heavy. Never really sought that out. So they're they oh. they're not really want, they didn't really want to be a metal band. So in some ways, they were ahead of the curve in terms of what hair metal actually came to be. Absolutely. So they 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 were there at the beginning. Um, Hysteria is the fourth studio album by the band. It was released in August of 1987. Um, that's so weird to me. I graduated high school in May of 1987, so that's... <laughs> and I had been seven years old for two months. <laughs> um, Hysteria sold over 25 million copies and had seven hit singles. It was uh, number one in the U.S. and the U.K., it's the and it's the band's longest album at over sixty two minutes long. And it was uh, it was seven singles in the U S. six in the U K. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, there is like a one. There's a, there's a disparity of one. Okay, <laughs> what was the disparity? Just out of curiosity. Uh, now I would need to look. I wonder oh, okay. if I have any sort of reference guide right here in front of me. Oh yeah, tell us what you've got next to you, Aaron. Oh, because yes. I think this My, is I relevant. Made a little indulgence. Uh, they released uh, a set that is Def Leppard Hysteria: The Singles, and it's a box set that recreates all seven of the U.S. singles plus the uh, UK version of the Animal single. And then just to round it out, because you're so close to having the whole album on 7 inches at that point, they did two bonus 7 inches, one for uh, Don't Shoot Shotgun and Run Riot, and one for Love and Affection and Excitable. So you get the entire album on 7 inch, plus all the available 7 inch singles. And uh, I'm pretty sure that it is... uh, uh, one of the later singles that wasn't re- that wasn't done in the in the UK. 
it would most likely be I honestly thought it was Rocket, but maybe it was Armageddon it or something. I which don't know. I believe was a rather high charter in the US. Yeah. Actually yeah. most of the singles off the album were yeah, and Aaron's kind of a super fan here. He's got this. This box is gorgeous. It's it's uh, I mean, it's all it's the album basically cut up into uh, two songs on each forty five, and like and it has all the beautiful artwork, you know, on and on. It's, Absolutely, it's a cool set. Um, and uh, so let's uh, so I, I looked up some like little factoids about some of the members of Def Leppard because that's that's one of my favorite things to do. Um, Joe Elliott, the singer, has also been in David Bowie and Mott the Hoople tribute bands. That's because he's he's big fans of those. He's a big Queen fan too, um, and I know that Def Leppard played at the the Queen the Freddie Mercury tribute like a while back. You know, like decades back, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's so, been decades now. Yeah, so but I that, believe that's the. Second or third band that we've covered now that we're at the Freddie Mercury tribute. Right. I think it's the third because I believe Guns N' Roses was there as well. Guns N' Roses and Extreme were the yes, other two. Yes, and Extreme were there. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're kind of like tying all that stuff together. Hair Metal had a big showing at the Queen tribute, apparently. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Uh, and then guitarist Phil Collin. I did not know a lot about him. Uh, uh, kind of a fun factoid is uh, he is on the back cover of Deep Purple's Made in Japan album. I did not know that bit. That's Which, cool. Uh, as as a lad, the photo was taken in England because that's where the concert was that he he, had, he actually attended, not in Japan. But um, he was he he went to the show in England and had his picture taken on and was on the back of it. He was also asked at one point to be an Iron Maiden. No kidding. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Would have been, that have been about the time that uh, Adrian Smith was being brought on board? I. Th- they were looking for a replacement. It wasn't Adrian Smith, but I can't remember the other guitar player's name offhand that he was that, that they were they were shedding and they were looking for a replacement for. <laughs> Dennis Stratton? Uh, it had more of a European sounding name, but I'm blanking oh, on it. Oh, okay. Um, but I thought that was kind of cool. Someone in Def Leppard was gonna be an Iron Maiden potentially. I know that he was in a band uh, with Phil Lewis. With Phil Lewis? From LA Guns, the vocalist. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were okay. in a band called Girl. Okay. That made a couple records that's, in, uh, before he right. joined Def Leppard. That's right, yeah. And he was in a side project called Man Rays, R-A-Z-E, with the Sex Pistols drummer, Paul Cook. Yeah, and then the guy who, who handled bass duties was another guy from that band, Girl, yeah, that he yeah. played with. Yeah, yeah. I saw a bunch of uh, listings for Girl. I've not, I've not checked them that out. That band, Man Rays, that first record's totally fun. Okay. I haven't listened to it in a really yeah. long time, <laughs> but I, I grabbed it around the time it came out because I was just like, well, how about that lineup? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he also played a guitar solo on a Donny Osmond song, but the guys in Def Leppard were not about that. They they thought that was kind of embarrassing, and so they asked him to to not use his real name, and so he went by the, under the pseudonym of Rory James Collin because they disapproved. Oh golly! And uh, Phil Collin is also a vegan and has been a vegetarian for thirty five years, and he's colorblind. And he uh, he went through a thing during the whole alcohol phase of the band where he decided he needed to get his shit together. Um, so he, he improved his diet, and that was when he became vegetarian. And he also started studying martial arts. He has a black belt in karate, and he studied martial arts over 20 years. Yeah, I do remember an interview of, uh, of that coming up now that you mentioned it, actually, uh-huh. that last bit, yeah. 
That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that stuff like fascinates me. Mostly uh, being a, I'm a huge fan of Bruce Dickinson, and he's had like so many things that he's good at in, in his life, and and all these things he does. I love it when uh, musicians are like, you think like, okay, well, they should be satisfied with their rock and roll lives, and they're not. They like go on and they have like these other side careers and whatever it is that they do. Um, uh, Hysteria was. Uh, st- they started out with uh, their usual producer, Robert John Mutt Lang Lange Lang. Well, I, I never thought know how to say uh, his he name came in later on. He was uh, he, was, he was like, I'm tired, I can't do this. Yeah, he was gonna do it, but he was too busy and he was tired, and so he, so um, he had just produced uh, the Cars, um, Heartbeat City. Um, and so he was, oh, and he and so he was hard. exhausted from that because he, he, yeah, yeah Mutt he he. Uh, he throws his all into everything because he's a bit of a perfectionist. And so I imagine the guy's exhausted by the time he's done producing an album. And it's crazy because, um, you know, two of the other albums that he did, I mean, you know, we know what a Mutt Lang album like sounds like. We've right. listened to enough 80s rock. But, like, yeah. when you think about the fact that he did, like, Huge. Highway to Hell and Back yeah. in Black, which are, like, incredibly lean-sounding records. Uh-huh. And you think of, like, Hysteria and you think of Pyromania. Right. That are <laughs> very <lush>. involved <laughs> records. You know, it's like, wow, he, he did Highway yeah. to Hell because that's really just the sound of, like, a band, like, rocking out in a room together. Yeah. And, and but they Hysteria is not huge. the sound of a band rocking out in a room together. No. <laughs> no. It's, it's not even kind of no. like that. <laughs> it's very, very pieced together. Yeah. But, but Mutt was too busy, and so uh, they ended up going with Jim Steinman. And I love this story because I, I think it's funny that Jim Steinman and Def Leppard, like part of me wants to hear what that could have sounded like, but it didn't work out. Uh, they had completely different approaches. Uh, Jim Steinman wrote most of the songs on Bad Out of Hell, Meatloaf's album. Uh, he wrote uh, Bonnie Tyler's, you know, um, Total Eclipse of the Heart and some some other big hits and stuff like that too, but uh, it didn't work out because uh, Jim Steinman's a songwriter and not a producer. So. Yeah, uh, if you watch the classic <laughs> albums, uh, Joe Elliott's talking about that. And he goes, yeah. "Well, what we realized after a while was that you know Jim Steinman wrote Bad Out of Hell. He didn't produce it. <laughs> yeah, Tom Lundgren produced we'd it. We'd get yeah. done with you know running through a practice take, and Jim would just be like, "All right, that sounded great." Yep. And they were like, "Uh, <laughs> really? That's that's it." Yeah, and, yeah, and he was he wasn't much of a he wasn't a perfectionist the same way that uh, that Mutt was. Yeah, and they, they wanted to get bigger and bigger is is because they like you said they wanted to be the biggest band in the world. And Jim Steinman was like, "Well, I just want to record what you sound like in the room," and that was not their approach. No, <laughs> not even kind of. <laughs> Uh, this record was originally going to be called Animal Instinct, um, which I which I'm kind of glad they went with Hysteria. It's a much better. There's name. There's a book available by that name. Yeah. Oh, is that like the story? Of- There's yeah. It's it's basically the Def Leppard story leading up to Hysteria. It was okay. advertised like if like in my original cassette tape of Hysteria when you unfolded it, it had a little ad for this book that you could order. Oh wow! It was written <laughs> by David Frick. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Okay so, yeah I remember that. I forgot the title, but yeah I remember that book. Um, this album has a rather rocky history outside of the, uh, producer change around stuff. Um, so like they're working on the album, there's, they're starting to get some momentum on the album. They're trying to work on it. And then the drummer, Rick Allen was in a car accident in his Corvette at the end of 1984 and lost his arm. Uh, that's a hell of a thing for a drummer to lose. So uh, that that was that was a pretty tragic thing to happen. Uh, but he wanted to stay in the band, and so he worked up this MIDI drum kit to trigger. I believe it's with, a Simmons drum kit. A, a, a Simmons drum kit is that right? Okay. I think it was a Simmons drum yeah. kit. Yep. Yeah, and they, they he had to have it specially designed and everything because no one had done what he was trying to do. Um, so he's triggering the sounds. 
um, you know, that he would have played with his arm, with his feet and stuff like that. A lot of it with um, his left foot, too. Yeah. They realized that the left uh-huh. foot of a drummer of a standard rock band yeah. didn't have quite as much right. going on. And usually a drummer's left foot's busy with, like, the hi-hat or something like that. And so I, I so that had to have been a hell of a challenge to learn it. Um, but when he was in the hospital recovering, the hospital put, like, this foam rubber stop at the bottom of his bed so he could, like, push himself up and get comfortable and stuff like that. Um, but he began, like, he was listening to music. He started tapping on that rubber foam thing with his foot, and that's kind of what gave him the idea to, to, to try this. And so he had, like, uh, he had like you know, family and friends bring him in, like, music, and he was, like, he'd listen to music, and he would tap things out on the foam rubber pad and stuff in his hospital bed. And so he was immediately, <laughs> right after losing his arm, he's already planning on... On what he's going to try to do to stay in the band, um, and never did it occur to the guys in Def Leppard to ever like replace him. They they were like, he's our brother. He's our he's 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 in the you know they're they're not going to fire him. He's going to have to quit, and he didn't quit. He figured out that you know and pretty impressive that they worked out how to do this sort of drum set. And what was it by the time that they find, that he got out of the hospital and they had this drum set yeah. for him? I mean, mid eighties technology. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> MIDI was not a robust technology in the 80s. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's used for all of kinds of things now. Of course, they were also now, in a but... band that had a bajillion platinum album before right. that, so they probably had some sway in getting things accomplished. So, hey, yep. right on. They could hire the best to do it. Um, and then, miraculously, while he's like learning to play this drum and they're, they're recovering from this, Mutt came back. And and that was when he came back into the fold and was it was going to help them produce the album. They had started doing some work with Nigel Green. That's right, who was who the engineer. Was yeah. Getting them through stuff and then yeah, Mutt came back and Yeah. But then Mutt got in a car accident. <laughs> like Jesus guys, come fucking on already. <laughs> and then in nineteen eighty six, Joe Elliott got a case of the mumps. <laughs> so it's like so these poor bastards it's like they're you know they're working on this what's it what's going it's destined to become like this huge masterpiece and and make their careers but it was very unsure at the time and then all this crap was happening um but so they worked they work out all this stuff and they finally finished tracking in january of 1987 and it took mutt another like what three to five months or something like that to mix it um you know, so it so it took a long time because of various speed bumps and things like that, and you know, and of course, Mutt being you know doing the it's hard to wrap your thing. head around mixing that freaking monstrosity of a multi-tracked record. You know, no kidding. There's a lot Good going on Lord. in this record, uh, and Mutt's goal as a producer was to have a hard rock version of Michael Jackson's Thriller, where every song was a hit. They were, and then the band were like listening to Thriller at one point. They go like, "Oh my God, every song on this is a hit." And he was like, "You know, we could make something like that." Now it did have the same number of singles as Thriller, not yeah. necessarily the same percentage of the album as singles as Thriller, but right, you yeah. Know, I think Thriller was seven out of nine songs. Yeah, and that's Death a hell of a goal. Seven out of twelve. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and in some ways, shouldn't like every album be like? Shouldn't it like you know? Shouldn't the plan going and be like, let's make it all be good? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're in one of those album bands that you know you want to make the songs for the charts and all that stuff. I mean, one true, would, true. It would be weird if you're like writing an album and you're like, well, this song's not very good, but we want it to be on there anyway. It's like, right. well, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> um, Hysteria was the most expensive album ever recorded in the UK at the time. And their label manager said at the time it had to sell five million copies just to break even, which is like that's a that's a hell of a headspace to be in. Probably why they <laughs> toured for three fucking years behind right. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
It was a hit in the UK pretty immediately. Uh, they did well in the UK because that's where they're from. But it took a year in the US, um, and it didn't happen until the hit um, Pour Some Sugar On Me came out. Because the first single sank uh-huh. basically without a trace in the US. Right. It hit, like the 80s, which is weird because right. it's an awesome tune. It is an awesome tune. And that's tune. the one that wasn't released in the UK. It was Women. Yeah. It was the first US single, and it just it went to, got to number 80. Yeah, it did not do all that well, and they started to sweat. <laughs> like okay yeah. that's not a good sign yeah. but once people caught on to it, it it obviously did well and it dominated charts around the world for like three years so you know so it, it had some impressive staying power um so it, but it, it didn't it didn't didn't happen immediately for them it's like it's easy to go back and look at things in history and be like oh yeah this is great and it always was and it's like they it wasn't they were, remember they were back sweating in the day when that was a thing where you could have an album that was released mm-hmm. one year and then it didn't pick up steam until like the next year yeah i mean the same thing happened to appetite for destruction yeah it came out in 87 exactly. too and yeah. it just kind of blah blah blah, blah. you know welcome to the jungle yeah. didn't do that great blah, blah blah then sweet child of mine comes along and it's huge and yeah you know i mean yeah that was like a thing uh We've we've discussed a couple albums like I think uh, the extreme album like Porno Graffiti like until more than words came out I don't think it yep. really it, that album didn't do that great either and then when it came out like people were confused <laughs> but <laughs> that's a whole different story but, look it, it isn't a song uh, full or album full uh, of acoustic ballads what no, right <laughs> uh, the guitars on Hysteria were recorded through Rockman amplifiers um, which you know all the guitar players out there are probably going like oh yeah but for the people who don't know a Rockman amplifier is it looks kind of like a Walkman it's like this little box and it was designed by Tom Scholes of Boston um, that was what it's the Boston sound essentially that real slick edgeless sort of like guitar sound um, and that was because uh, Mutt when he's producing them he wanted to be able to layer the guitars and he didn't want big crunchy rock guitars he wanted like you know guitars that were easy to layer and and, and real smooth and stuff, um, you know, which which I thought was kind of interesting. And and so like so they have the same guitar sound as basically a Boston album, but it doesn't. sound Which like, is funny because even it even sound like the Boston guitar sounds a little bit crunchier, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, by comparison, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all the drum sounds are samples, which I thought was interesting. Uh, they're triggered through a Fairlight sampling synthesizer, which had to have been a pain in the ass back then. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a long program. Yeah, in 1986 or whatever when they were when they're working on the drum sounds and stuff like that, you know, sampling technology was incredibly new and not very I mean, it was at the same level as like MIDI stuff. It it, it didn't it didn't work all that great. It was functional and all that stuff. So, I imagine that they spent a lot of time on those drum sounds because if they're using all samples and triggering them and stuff like that, um yeah. Uh, this album was also meant for CD because it's it's well yeah because the original pressings of Wax are on one record and that's right. a long that's a record long to record. put on yeah one one slab of wax yeah, it's like over, a little over sixty two and a half minutes long which is like I think at the time like sixty three minutes was like the the limit of a CD and it, it expanded a little bit over that over time when they made CDs a little bigger my but, first copy was a cassette tape yeah. I think mine was actually a CD, but I yeah, I think it was. My third yeah. copy was a CD. Yeah. <laughs> I had one tape that I played to death, and then I got another yeah. tape. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about the cover art, too. And, and mostly I'm going to let you talk about this, Aaron, because you have this awesome box set. Um, there's a really cool gimmick. Yeah, with, <laughs> um, with the singles, well, the U.S. versions of the singles – they were going through, and they basically took the cover art and dissected it into, like, nine squares 
with the idea being each single release was going to you know take up one little square of the artwork and if you put them all together they would form like the album art yeah but they only got through seven of the requisite nine singles to make this happen now in the box like i said they repressed two bonus singles so now you can actually make the thing happen but then uh if I remember right, they said something too, like about like the artwork itself is some kind of like weird amalgamation of faces of of. Um, mm-hmm. Now I don't remember who it was all faces of. Yeah, there's faces. There's some animals in there mm-hmm. and stuff because because back when it was going to be called Animal Instinct and and they they just kind of left it in there because I like the artwork so much. It kind of looks a little bit like Tron too. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a well, cross yeah. That's the, that was their stage layout too. That's in the that's in the background there the 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 lines and shit that like if you look at those videos for like pour some sugar on me and Armageddon it and stuff that's what their stage looked like yeah it's it's very striking because it's kind of like futuristic but also like very classic design stuff um, the their artwork guy is his name is Andy Airfix or or was he's he's passed on since but uh, he also has done co- the album covers for Metallica and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and uh, and the Thompson Twins too. <laughs> no shit, so that's he, cool. Yeah, he was kind of a go-to guy in the designer world for a while. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. And then uh, and and then my only other real factoid about this album that that I had was uh, after touring the album, uh, the great guitar player Steve Clark died of an overdose. So again, they kind of they had agreed to like a one-year sabbatical for him, where he could yeah. just chill out and take a year to get his shit together and. Yeah, he had quite a quite a, a substance abuse problem, and uh, and it, it, he didn't quit when Phil Collins decided to get healthy, and they, they kind of put that on on Steve Clark and said, "Dude, you need to get healthy," um, and he he wasn't able to do it. He he the substances were too good for him, I guess. I mean, you know, whatever. Joe himself said, "I mean, it's not like the rest of the band weren't weren't." Um, mm-hmm. Right. Indulgent because they there were there was something about when they when they finished the album at the studio they were recording in they had this other room where they were throwing their empty beer cans and their empty liquor bottles <laughs> and I guess this room was you know supposedly just like full to the brim of fucking liquor bottles and yeah. beer cans and whatnot and in no way am I surprised by that but yeah there's there's a downside to all that yeah 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 still a sad loss he was a great guitar player. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Phil Collin almost quit over that. He like he didn't know, you know, he was sort of had this expectation on him all of a sudden of like, well, you're, you know, maybe you should like pick up some of those guitar parts or like you're the guitar player or, or the the sole architect of the sound now, um, and that, that that messed with him a little bit. And so um, I could see that because that yeah. was like Hysteria is really the first album that he actually is in it from the beginning to end, you know, because mm-hmm. Pyromania he has a couple leads on there and yeah. just a couple little bits here and there because most of that album like. Pete Willis appears on like every song, I think, mm-hmm. or just about every song. So he kind of yeah. entered it, you know, midstream. So this was the one where, okay, now you are a fully integrated member and you yeah. and Steve are going to dream up all these guitar sounds. He gets one album under his belt and bam, Steve's gone. So it's like, uh. Right. Uh, <laughs> guys. Oh, so it's on me now, is it? Fortunately, yeah. Whitesnake had a guitar player they weren't using anymore. Right. And it all came together. Yeah, yeah. And now Viv's been in the band longer than Steve ever was. Yeah, the great Vivian Campbell, who has played with like tons of people, Dio and White Snake, and I don't know, but, Sweet Savage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he, he ever since Metallica's he joined... covered a song that Viv played on. Oh wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's a fun one for you. Yeah. But, yeah. And Vivian Campbell's been in the band ever since. So like they, they not a lot of turnaround in Def Leppard like we've seen no. in some of the other bands that we've covered. Most uh, of their turnover occurred before their yeah. first album. Yeah. And then, you know, Pete Willis and Steve. Yep. Yep. 
So, uh, so what's what's your what's your hysteria story? Shit, dude, this is like one of the first tapes I ever owned, man. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I, I I had Thriller when I was a little kid, like before I was like into music as a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think my mom dug Def Leppard, and she bought me the tape, the Hysteria tape, and I freaked out on it. I know this album mm-hmm. inside and out. Uh, my first tape wore out, got another tape, been through a couple CD copies. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they they were the band yes. that largely got got me into like being into music just as a thing. Wow. So yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I got some history with this one. Yeah, that's that's pretty big. <laughs> that's probably why I've owned so many copies of it. I even have the hysteria, the vid- the historia, the videos, the DVD. Oh wow! It's uh, yeah, like one DVD is all the videos up through, you know, hysteria, except for like one hysteria. It doesn't have the rocket video i think maybe is the one that it's missing because it would have been made like a little bit because the video for rocket was like 89 so it it was already two years into the album before they made that so it has everything up to that and then the second dvd is uh in the round in your face okay and they were it was from the hysteria tour and it's uh it's pretty good show it's fun yeah so yeah yeah have you seen them live before i have not okay I, I saw them once opening. They it was a uh, one of the, the it was Kiss's last tour, um, is when I saw them. Oh or, yeah, yeah. No, I think I remember uh, when you went to go do that. Yeah, yeah. Def Leppard opened for Kiss, and uh, and they were phenomenal at the time. I kind of I was in a bit of a lull when it came to hair metal and like you know heavier music at the time. I was listening to other things. Like I was really into indie rock and stuff. Um, but seeing that show really blew me away. Like both both bands really kicked ass. Um, but Def Leppard in particular, like I kind of thought, yeah, I'm gonna recognize a couple songs, but I hadn't listened to them in a long time. So I thought it's like no, nope, I recognize like but, almost every yeah, single thing you played. Yeah. I think there was two songs I didn't recognize. One of them was a country. song song because they had done something uh, something with somebody something modern where they had a country thing and then and then maybe one other song but almost like pretty much everything else um i recognized and it blew me away and i like they really are one of the great bands because they they sounded good and they performed well they didn't sound like they had aged at all the vocal harmonies were just so solid that's one of the things that viv viv campbell said that you know he had seen def leppard when he was with white snake or when he was with dio and he was like i was pretty sure that they all that they used backing tracks because their harmonies were always so good (laughs) because then i joined the band it's like no they they don't use backing tracks they just actually can They're sing just those really harmonies. good singers. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy that everybody in the band yeah. can do those harmonies that well, like, you know, just over and over. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah and for me, I, I bought, this was, uh, I was kind of new into CDs. I, I I was buying CDs at the time, and this this is one of the first new CDs. I, I mostly bought, like, CDs of albums I already knew uh, because CDs seemed expensive at the time, you know, being a poor college student. Um, I was going to a community college at the time, and uh, and when it came out, I was just starting to play guitar and stuff like that, and I thought, well, I got to get this, and so uh, I, I picked up the CD, and I was surprised at how long it was, mostly. That oh, was my yeah. first impression. But I was blown away by it, too. I was like, and, and it was sort of weird, you know, watching that unfold where, like, all of a sudden you'd hear another one of the songs on the radio and another one, and after a while, I was like, well, damn, how many songs? You know, I wasn't used to that many songs on an album being on the no, radio so. usually two of them and you're done right exactly then there's on to the next album so um so that was pretty crazy you know seeing all you know oh another new video and i was like well this album's been out forever that's weird <laughs> <laughs> um but but i loved it it was great you know 
I, I, I did get, by the time Pour Some Sugar on Me came out, I was sort of like, you know, that was a song I didn't like as much on the record. Um, and, and so when it got huge and I heard it all the time, I was sort of like backing away from it a little bit at that point. But like, um, not because it wasn't a good song. I was just tired of hearing it, you know. They, yeah, they, see, when I was that age, I thought that was like the coolest song ever. Yeah, uh-huh. it was everywhere. And so it was like played all the time. So, um, yeah, again, not a bad song. But um, so overall, uh, I think like, you know, let's let, let, let's delve into the album itself a little bit. Hell yes. Yeah. So this is overall, this is a super slick album. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the slickest albums I think I've ever heard. Um, and, but they also... They experiment with different genres, but they still make them their own, which I thought was that was something that stood out to me this time is, uh, uh, you know, having not listened to it for a little while and going back to it. I was like, wow, they really, you know, it, it's so poppy and melodic and stuff. I'd forgotten how much experimentation was on it. Like they really are like pulling in different, you know, a, you know, a wide, diverse range of genres into the Def Leppard sound, um, which I thought was kind of cool. It's not a it's not a very shreddy guitar album. They're not. That's no. But it Not is still, but it's very guitar intricate. Yeah, very guitar intricate. Like if you break it all down, every, yeah, all the guitars are very. They they like never play the same thing almost ever. Right. Yeah. Like you know, Steve, Steve and Phil very very rarely ever lock into like a twin guitar attack. You know, I mean. Yeah, they're very like composed parts, and it's like they they really do everything has its place, and and, and they use a lot of like just space in the songs, which they I th- do, which I thought was kind of cool. Everybody like, hangs back. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah, which is not common for this genre. Usually, everybody's like trying to fill up as much space as they can. They're like, it's my moment to shine, my moment to shine, and um and so they really play as a band which is very cool it's very composed very song oriented too Mm -hmm. um a lot of the lyrics aren't all that great necessarily but i don't think that's really the point uh and i i I don't think that isn't anything you couldn't level at most of the other albums that we've talked about on here in some capacity yeah yeah same maybe extreme was a little bit better than some of the rest of them but i mean right yeah don't get me wrong i love these records but let's be honest they're not like you know right yeah this we're we're not writing poetry we're not reciting Tennyson. (laughs) 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 uh all that stuff being said let's kick off the first song uh women this is the first single uh, yes, it was. And, and as we said before, it didn't really perform that well, and uh, both the band and management got worried. They're like, oh, shit, we put all this money and time into this, and now we've got like this very underperforming thing. Um, but, you know, it gets better. Honestly, uh, <laughs> it's weird to me that that song wasn't more popular. Yeah. It's, it's great. Oh, I think it's a great tune. It man. is a great tune. It's that, a great album lead off. You can tell yeah. it was written to be like the first song on the album. Yeah, that intro guitar riff, that's so cool. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> and I just like once again we, it goes back to how like composed it is you know because yeah. like the, the the guitars in it are occupying such different spaces through that little intro yeah and then like they all just stop playing during the verses right I mean <laughs> they let the rhythm section kick I mean in. there's some yeah. little stingers here and there but like for the most part the 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 verses are just drums and keyboards and vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is very strange. Uh, the song has a spooky feel to it too. Yeah, it does. It's, it's this very like sort of mythological spooky feel to it. Um, and the other thing I liked about this song is, uh, I mean, besides the great production and all the great parts, is uh, it, it manages to talk about the sexiness of women while also addressing their complexity. 
um, which is you don't that's something else you don't see much of in this genre. It's usually like no. women are more objects and things like that. And and these guys are saying like, well, women are very complex. They're fire. They're ice. They're you know they're you know all of this stuff. They were um, trying. They were trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of big production on this one too. Um, especially in the, the bridge has all these delayed vocals and things like that. They spent some time on the production of the bridge of this song because probably because they were planning on being the the, the first singles. So, um, yeah, great, great lead off track, though, for, for an album. Um, just like just showing like right away showing off like, but like, look what we got. <laughs> uh, the second song, Rocket. This was the sixth single that was released. Seventh in the U.S. Or seventh in the U.S. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> was it like March of 89? I'm not sure when it was released, but. Um, Let's see. Let's. Yeah. Handy dandy chart. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aaron's uh, collection of the singles has a really cool booklet in it that ta- that has all of the history of all of the songs. Yeah, the and UK stuff, it so. was January thirtieth, eighty nine, and uh, the US it doesn't specify. I just remember. Se- and now what we're going off my memory. I could look it up even further, but I'm I'm just not going to. But I remember seeing yeah. the video in March of eighty nine. Okay. Okay. That's uh, a pretty and, good memory. <laughs> and even as a nine year old, I remember going. You know, this album came out two years ago. Yeah, and they're still wow. releasing singles from it, yeah. I mean, almost two years at that point. But I mean, it's not like it wasn't successful for them, right? Yeah, yeah, it seemed to work out okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Rocket starts with uh, like backmasking, which I think is kind of and interesting. That backmask, <laughs> that that backmask yeah. vocal that opens up is is uh, the God of War uh, chorus backwards. Yeah, yeah, it's that. And, and uh, later on in the song, they use backmasking and they they use uh, quotes from Love Bites, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, uh, you know that's that's a pretty interesting thing to do. It's like two songs in, and we're we're using back you know, and like all the percussion stuff. at the beginning. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He he. Apparently, Joe Elliott heard some group called Burundi Black, and he was really into the percussion sound of yeah. it. He's like, I want to do that. Yeah. And <laughs> that's how we got there. Yeah. The song itself, as far as I can tell, is mostly just about rock and roll. Um, oh, totally. Yeah, and, and we get this weird production thing which is which is strange it's like you know for the second song you think they would lead with another like big hit and, and this song did end up being a big hit but it has weird production to it um and it has like the the it has a breakdown bridge section that's created from vocal and drum samples and it's really it's surprisingly it's long and it's surprising you know like long. that midsection it gets cut yeah. down when you hear it on the radio they hack it way down and i think the yeah. original video is hacked way down in that section too yeah but like they have this thing where there's the one guitar riff and they're all doing vocals behind it and just matching the guitar riff and it's like you know a room full of joe elliott's and rick savages and all them all singing along to the guitar riff and you don't really it it doesn't sound like that when you're listening to it but you know i I heard him on that classic albums break it down on the multi-track and it's like yeah that's that's a whole bunch of people singing to that guitar (laughs) yeah it it, it almost has that that bridge sex is almost like art rock yeah which is which is again a weird influence to have in the middle of a hair metal album (laughs) and so early in the record too song number two (laughs) yeah Um, and then we go from there to the third song is Animal, which was the second single released. Is that true in both countries? Uh, it was the first single in the UK. First single in the UK. Okay. Uh, Animal, um... This was supposedly, from what I read, the most difficult song to record. They took a lot of passes at this song. Yeah, this was one of the earliest songs written, but they 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 took them a while to work it out and get it the way they wanted it to. Um, and another thing I thought was cool about this one is a shout out to Neil Young in it. 
has that, that line in, uh, like the restless rest, like the restless rust, I never sleep. And I was like, that's totally rust never sleeps, you know, Neil Young. Well, because <laughs> in, the, in the Rock of Ages video, Joe Elliott has that shirt, the it's better mm-hmm. to burn out than fade away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they, they, they like to reference Neil Young. That's that's one of the things I like about Def Leppard. So, hey, that, right on. Yeah, they're 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 always giving respect to what came before and stuff like that, and they're they're happy to wear their influences on their sleeves, whether it's a lyric or whatever it is. So, yeah, um, I, I like Animal. I like that yeah, song. It is a good song. <laughs> um, and then after that, uh, song four is "Love Bites," which is the power ballad, and that's one and, I guess uh, Mutt Lang brought the song in. Yeah, and he yeah. had it much more like country ballad. It's a country ballad, yeah, and they. Um, they Def Leppard you know, it, Def it up. Def it. <laughs> Oddly yeah. enough, probably one of my favorite guitar solos on the album. It's one of the <laughs> shortest ones, yeah. but I just like the sound of it. <laughs> it yeah, just, the song sounds it's, really It's very cool. tasteful. <laughs> yeah, it's very tasteful. It's a super atmospheric uh, song. Um, it's... Uh, it's 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 the band's only number one single even now today. Yep, it was the only time they hit number one. And it's weird that it was that song, but I think it has yeah. more to do with riding the wave of the popularity than it is like the song right. itself. Yeah, like, uh, I've been reading this blog about songs that go to number one, mm-hmm. uh, and it's weird because it's like some of these artists, you know, we're we're gonna let's filter out the one hit wonder type stuff right now. But like a lot of the times with with like the big acts, w- the song that you see that goes to number one is the one that's like right after all the really popular songs that initially got them going. Uh-huh. And then when they're at the top of the wave, they'll put out a song, and it may not be their best one or maybe like a ballad or unrepresentative, and it's the one that gets to number one because yeah, you know, you're kind of already riding this existing wave. And I think – I'm saying that's what happened here because that's – Right. It's, uh, like, it's almost strategic in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the sixth single in the U.S., I believe, or the fifth yeah. or sixth single in the U.S. We're, we're way – we're well down there on the list at this point. Yeah. And it's uh, five minutes and 40 second, 47 seconds long. So it's a really long song for a yes. single. And they don't, if I remember right, like, you know, listening to it on the radio when I was a kid, they don't cut anything out of it. You get yeah. the whole song. And usually 540 is kind of pushing it. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I mean, they cut down Rocket, cool. but that's over six, isn't it, with that think, midsection? Think so, so that yeah. probably is why, it, yeah. And I, I really love that little, uh, they have that palm muted riff in the middle where it has like this atmospheric guitar solo, but it has a bum, 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 you know? And then, but then like he has like this at, this trippy atmospheric guitar solo. And like you said, it's super tasty. It's like and just, the notes Yeah, are, whatever processing is on that guitar is crazy because it's yeah. like, it's like not overdriven at all. No. But there's something going on on it because it has this yeah. sound that like that, and that, that's probably part of the reason why I like that solo so much because I've never heard another guitar make that noise no. yeah because <laughs> and and from listening to it i almost guarantee it's phil who's playing that solo yeah between the two of them and just yeah how do you make it sound like that <laughs> squish the crap out of it that's what yeah. you do right <laughs> <laughs> uh and then after that we've got the big hit uh pour some sugar on me this is uh considered the band's signature song the fourth single yeah was it the fourth one okay it was the fourth one okay and it made it to number two Wow, that which is not not shabby. No, <laughs> when you think of how many songs are released as singles for yeah. that are out there floating around in a given week, you know, I mean, hey, hit yeah. number two. And this one had a couple weird inspirations. It was partially inspired by uh, um, that Aerosmith and Run DMC's "Walk This Way" crossover hit, um, and so they kind of they they were like, "Well, we want to do like kind of a rap rock thing too." So that was one of the things. And then uh, um, and then Joe Elliott also said the the lyrics were inspired by the Archies' "Sugar Sugar." 
And so, yeah. like, so if you take rap rock and the Archies and smoosh it together, through, so put it yeah. in the Def Leppard le- blender. <laughs> it's crazy because it doesn't really have like a chord progression so much as it just has a riff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, oh, like Love Bites has like a series of chords to it. Yeah. But this one is just a riff. Yeah. And this one was the last song written. Uh, and it was like when they were like, when. Mutt, almost done. Yeah. And the label's like, so is that t- coming in? And they're like, no, you know what? We just thought of one more. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, like, I think Joe Elliott was playing it on guitar or something. And Mutt came back from the bathroom or something like that. And was like, what is that? We should put that on the record. And so it was the last one tracked. And they tracked it and like, they, they finished it like in two weeks, which, you know, in Def Leppard world is probably like super fast. And that's, that, <laughs> this is another one, too. The solo is really weird because there's not like a lot of soloing in it. No, no. It's, there's like a midsection of the song that has like some different guitar stuff in it. But, yeah. Arguably, there's more soloing going on during the uh, repeated chorus at the end, where yeah. there's the one guitar kind of doing some stuff. That's you know, so it's odd that out of this you know like monster rock tune, like yeah, yeah, there's not really like a solo as such. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of a lot of this record is like they're they're not the big shreddy solo guys. It's like they're sort of like we need we need some guitar here, and it's like it's almost atmosphere guitar in some ways. Which is funny because both of them can totally solo, yeah, but they yeah. just kind of don't. <laughs> I think I think I read that uh, Steve Clark was like inspired by like Al Miola and stuff like that. So he 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 was very capable, and he and he knows music theory. He could read and write music. So oh wow, and so he he was he was way way into it, knew what he was doing, understood the theory and all that stuff, and was kind of a shredder, but then didn't do it much. Well, because even, like, band. Joe Elliott, like, in one of their interviews, I was like, yeah, Steve was a sloppy player, but but <laughs> Phil was very much not a sloppy player, and they bounced <laughs> off each other like that. So it's funny that the guy who knows all this theory can read and write music was also, like, they, in the band, they referred to him as the sloppy player of the, of the two. <laughs> and then uh, track six, Armageddon It. The end of side one. The end of side one. You know, I was again. It's been a while since I've heard this, but hearing that intro riff, um, it really took me back. That's a really cool intro. It's riff. a really good riff. Uh, and, you know, and I just kind of thought, you know, oh, Armageddon, it's coming up next. Oh, I remember that song kind of. But when I heard it, I was sort of like, it kind of struck me, like uh, how much I enjoyed it, and I was like, wow, I had forgotten how cool of a guitar part that. And once is. again, another song that isn't really like chord progression so much as it's a riff that he yeah. sings over. Yeah. And there, there's a guitar break, a guitar break in the middle that's really interesting too. It's like, uh, I mean, it's again they're experimenting and doing weird things in the bridge. There's a ton of moods in this one song alone. There is. They go yeah. all over. It is. It's it's all over the place, and not in like some prog rock way or something like that. It just like you know, it's just like the mood it changes. Just, there's a lot of like tonal shifts in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and you know, and this is one of them where the lyrics in particular are sort of like it's it's kind of a mediocre pun. <laughs> you know, arm getting it but like but the song is so fun and it sounds great and has so many great parts in it that it, it, again it seems like that's not the point of course it's and also so, another one it's like you know five minutes and change too yeah it is it's really long and there's and a it's lot another one that when i was a kid they didn't hack that song up at all for the video or for, no. the, for radio yeah i remember when that video came out it seemed very trippy and weird and you know it's a lot like the pour some sugar on me video it's a lot yeah. of band footage of some backstage stuff yeah yeah yeah, big power choruses and yeah, and I believe it has yeah the triumphant key mm-hmm. change at the end of the song. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you know they're going to be triumphant because the key changes. That's right. <laughs> and then we go from Armageddon into Gods of War, which is probably Def Leppard's most political song. Uh, yes, in, easily. In, in, in as much as they get political, and it's not all that political. 
And a bunch um, of really cool fucking riffs. <laughs> there's a bunch of really cool fucking riffs, and it has a has a Ronald Reagan sample in it towards the end. Um, and and you can kind of tell this is a. Uh, I mean, it's it was near the end of the Cold War, and so, you can tell, and you can kind of tell. It's like they kind of wanted to chime in on the Cold War a little bit and stuff like that. Um, you know, so uh, you know, and kudos to them for like trying to tackle more of a serious topic. And, and the stuff. sampling section at the end of the song is long. It is long. Like. Yeah. They let that roll. It's got to be like two minutes of song back there where it's just yeah. them kind of just playing it's, that progression. Yeah, dinking around with samplers. Yeah, <laughs> and having a bunch of samples play over it. Yeah, I never had thought of Def Leppard as like a sampler heavy you know, sort but of band, we but, are. but yeah, but by the end of this, by the end of like re-listening to this and understanding what samplers are these days, I guess, I didn't understand it back when I was, when I used to listen to this all that often, so. Um, so then we go from that into Don't Shoot Shotgun. Um, yeah, and this this one was not a hit, um, but it's still really rocking. But you can tell it was yeah. written as like, a, well, we could release this yeah. as a single if we wanted. Yeah, I think on any other album, it may well have been a hit, really. But like, uh, that's what they say about most of the songs on this album. Like any of these other songs that we didn't release, if some other band did it, yeah, they probably could have had a hit with it. Yeah. So I, th- I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and then we have another one that's kind of like that. Run Riot is next. And, and it's it's just like that where it's not a, it wasn't a hit, but it still rocks really hard. That was one of my favorite um, songs on the album as a kid. Yeah. It's, it seems to have some rap influence to it as well, I thought. That rapid that rapid sort of Spitfire verse thing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, so I kind of wondered about that. Um, uh, and then we get to Hysteria, the song. And this was the... Th- third single yep it was the third one okay um i love this song it's a great freaking tune yeah and it's like the same little um it starts off at the same spot as goodbye blue sky from pink floyd that's right i think they readily admit as much too yeah and and i think that might be uh, this was a song that i mean like i said before this was when i was just starting to learn guitar and so when this album came out there was a guitar magazine that had the tab to this song in it and so i sat down and learned it um and i didn't notice the the comparison to Goodbye Blue Sky, but I was a huge Pink Floyd freak. That was kind of why I started playing guitar. Um, and that shape of that song in Hysteria, I, to this day, I still use that all the time in like songs I'm either writing or working on or something like that. Um, but I first used it and first heard about it on this song, Hysteria. The guitar is in the little pre-chorus. Yeah. The fun thing about that, that during the I Gotta Know Tonight, apparently <laughs> apparently those guitars that they get in there, the doom, 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 they yeah. like sampled, he like recorded each string of the guitar like individually as opposed to him strumming a full chord. Yeah. And then they just layered them together to make the chords. Like, oh my God, that's yeah. so meticulous. Yeah, I read that story too, that the chorus <laughs> guitars recorded one note at a time to make up the chord and that's just all mutt, mutt, like, you know, saying that, being a perfectionist. Geez. Which is a great exercise in guitar arrangement. I mean, it does sound tedious as fuck, but like, uh, it's it's a great exercise in guitar arrangement. No wonder it took them um, fucking months to mix the yeah. album. I mean, God, that's a no level kidding. of like meticulousness that's ridiculous. Because yeah. it would, it would sound different as yeah. opposed to strumming out the chord. Yeah, you would get a very specific sound. And yeah, and I read whew. one of the uh, interviews with Joe Elliott. He said that on this song there was something like eleven guitar parts, and he said that when they do it live, they just kept like the best two parts that was the most. And he goes, "There's a lot of stuff you don't really hear up front." And he goes, "We just left that stuff, you know." And, and just like you played the main parts i know for like um, the video for this the other they did a trick for the video too where they had the you know when when you go to the stage and you're filming it they basically play to a loop of the song uh-huh. well they had the song playing twice as fast so they would play to it so that when they slowed it down to regular speed it gave it that crazy look that you see in the video oh wow yeah it's That's from like cool running the camera at like double speed or something like that playing playing to a wow. double speeded track and then 
running it back down to normal speed. That's really interesting. It's a great yeah. video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, this has a great solo to it too. It's not like it's not like this, uh, you know, a shred solo again. But like it's a it's it's a, it's another exercise in arrangement. There's all these overdubbed guitar parts. There are like harmonized guitars. You keep hearing and stuff. other guitars like coming in at little bits yeah. to harmonize with the lead all over. It's yeah. I mean yeah, it's sore. You have to wonder how much time they he, the, yeah. like just Phil spent laying down one more guitar on it and one more guitar on it over and over and over yeah yeah it, it just uh it's pretty nuts and then uh so anyway after that we get to excitable which is the 11th song and that one he uh i heard they were inspired they went to a dance club mm-hmm. or one that while they were working on the album and were hearing mm-hmm. like the dance club songs and he's like you know what we could make a song like this yeah and <laughs> Yeah, and that one starts with the it starts with the sampler playing around. It's like they're dinking around with the sampler at the beginning of the song. Uh, but it's just it's just a great rock song too. It, it's a uh, I mean, as far as I can tell, in certain terms of the lyrics and stuff, it's fairly meaningless. But like, it has a great beat and it has a really good vocal line to Fuck it. Yes, so it, it does. Just, it's like just fun. Um, and then that leaves us up to the the last song, "Love and Affection." Um, and this one reminds me of like a song off of Pyromania for some reason. It's, it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, not that they like you know completely abandoned that sound or anything, but like this one is the most that sounds like Pyromania on anybody else's record. It would be the big ballad, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's solid and, it, and it's really good. Um, I think it kind of loses some of its power by being at the end of this collection of songs, but like I don't know how you would end this album otherwise. I mean, maybe they could have like saved one of the hits back and ended it, ended it with mm, one of those, yeah, but, no. but I don't know if that would have worked. So um, it almost does have yeah. a as an album, it actually almost has a flow very similar to Thriller too. It does, <laughs> you yeah. Know, when you yeah. think about it, like <laughs> just the sort of the way the songs are plotted out, it's also very similar the, to that. The ebb and the flow, yeah. Um, that's, those are all my notes on it. Do you have anything else you want to say about Hysteria? Track down the B-sides to the singles, because they're a lot of fun. They, they, uh, uh, re-record one of the songs from their first EP in the B-sides, and there's a song called Ring of Fire that has no relation to the song that we all know called Ring of Fire. (laughs) Um, yeah, they're just worth your time. You should go find them. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to hear Def Leppard cover Johnny Cash, but (laughs) But who knows? Who knows? (laughs) All right. Anyway, that wraps up Hysteria. We'll be right back with our special guest. All right, and we're back. And today, our special guest is Adam Lyons. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing all right. How about you guys? We're doing great. Just splendid. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Yeah. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself so people know a little bit about you, why you're here? Um, yeah, I don't know. I am here because I'm a fan of this album from when I was a kid. Um, know, I know Brian and... Uh, dude... <laughs> oh my god, Aaron! Oh my god, it hit me like a fucking brick. I was like, a name, a name. <laughs> That's okay. It's pandemic times. It's Everything's been a it's weird. been too long. I'm not on social media anymore. I don't see anyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Feel like a dick. Um, anyway, I've known these guys from the music scene, and uh, you know, hear names, and I miss playing with you guys in public settings and stuff a lot. So. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be. 
Adam figure. has a project called Mountain Eats Mountain, which uh, we it's highly really recommend. It, it, it's really good. <laughs> thank it's, you. Uh, thank you. It's uh, a, a lot of it is instrumental. I know. I know you're moving in more of a vocal direction with some of the newer stuff, but like uh, the, a lot of the past stuff is instrumental. And Adam is. Uh, this is kind of a good. We've talked a little bit about samplers. Uh, Adam is very good with looping pedals and things like that, which is vaguely related to samplers i guess um but like he he's he's like a wizard with that stuff um but his music is very good it's very cinematic um highly recommend you check it out um we'll, we'll put a link to it to your band oh, camp thanks, album uh, and when we when we put out this episode cool um yeah and appreciate that and he's also a butcher uh yeah that's what they say that's what they pay me for <laughs> i don't you don't, you know, I don't usually attach it to my personality very much, but yeah, it's, it's my a, occupation it's, for it's, sure. It's a job. It's an interesting job, though. Not everybody, not everybody is a butcher. So. You know, I've learned that it's more respected than I had thought in the past. Yeah, it's, yeah. People, when they hear that, oh, they're like, you know, that's pretty cool. I like to smoke meat on the weekends. Well, it's stock, you know. So yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not too bad. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, t- tell us about your, your relationship to the album Hysteria. Okay, uh, yeah. So my dad's, one of his prized possessions when I was a kid was his uh, Stony, Sony uh, stereo set. He had the uh, five CD changer thing and uh, yes. A-track I player. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think maybe uh, an LP player on there. Um, and cassette player, and you know he had the whole thing, and he loved it. Um, and on the weekends, they would always load up the disc changer and just let it play through all five of them. And this album was on frequent rotation. Um, so, so your dad bought the album? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I would have been. I don't know when the album came out, but uh, eighty-seven. Yep. Okay, so before my time, uh, before, I was <laughs> okay. even, before I was even born. So it's probably been around my ears as long as I've been around. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's in there, dude. I yeah. hadn't listened to this album for years and years until last night, and I knew, I don't remember a lot of the words, but a lot of the lines, a lot of the Oh, I've been listening to it since it came out, and I don't know a lot of the words still. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Um, for for whatever reason, like there's spots on this album where I just cannot tell what the hell the words are. Right. And I've had access to lyric sheets and have pointedly ignored looking at them just because <laughs> yeah. I like to think that there's some spots where they're just not using words. Yeah. 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 I just think that would be really cool. It feels <laughs> like a couple of the songs the words don't really matter that much. It's you just know, more of a feeling. I'll argue yeah. that's that's ninety percent of the music in the world. Yeah, so, yeah. One of the stories I read about uh, "Pour Some Sugar on Me" is uh, Joe Elliott and and Mutt, the producer, sat at opposite ends of the 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 mixing board, and they they had like dictaphones, and they played the backing track to it because they had the riff and they had the background and everything, but they didn't have any lyrics yet. And so they they just like went traded like rap style. They would trade lyric. They just make lyrics up on the spot, and then and then they would, then they traded the dictaphones, and they tried to figure out what the other one had said. And then they wrote lyrics based on that. <laughs> oh, that's they played, cool. they played telephone. They're just like, <laughs> right, yeah. So they played telephone to do that. Pour some so. syrup on me. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of funny. And so I think, like, in a, I think in a way, to your point, I think that, like, you're right. It's like the, the lyrics are sort of like, they're very secondary. It's like more about the melody and, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. So it's just, it, I grew up and listened to it a heck of a lot. 
Uh, and it's a pretty great album. I'm not a huge hair metal fan myself, personally. Um, mm-hmm. I don't listen to many of the albums that I grew up with, you know, that my, that sure. my parents used to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, but playing this back yesterday and this morning, I was really surprised at some of the... Um, some of the bass lines and stuff. Uh, some of the drumming on here is great. I mean, mm-hmm. and yeah. if I'm not mistaken, he had one arm, yes. right? Right, yeah. They uh, they said, I, I don't remember which, which band member was being interviewed now, but like I guess even from the beginning of the band, they, they were telling uh, Rick, the drummer, they were like, no, you don't do not do the big fills. We don't want big fills. This mm-hmm. isn't, we're not the Who. This isn't the 70s. Yeah. They're like, just play, you know, just be chiller than that. And especially during this album, they started doing the what they call the drive my car fill, mm-hmm. because his fills, if you listen to a bunch of them on the album, they go beep 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that that rhythmic device. Nice. <laughs> and as soon as I as soon as I heard him say that, I went, oh my god, I can hear every one of them in my head right now. Listening back through the album in my head, I'm like, yeah, there's one there, there's one there, there's one there. there. <laughs> but yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't ever go back and listen to the stuff. And now I'm thinking I might have to go back and try a few more albums. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. My dad was a big fan of uh, like Aerosmith and Rush and Pink Floyd and you know some of the bigger ones. But yeah, all bands that I know very well. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. Um, when they did Pink Floyd trivia at London, I remember coming over here one night for it, and Brian's like, so, hey, I have a question for you. So I'm doing this Pink Floyd trivia thing at London Underground. You can't play in it, but can you look at these questions to make sure they're not too hard? <laughs> and it turned out, and you got everyone, like, you know, and just like, yeah, these are good questions, and nobody got any of them, and they were super hard. I really hard thought they felt like softballs, and yeah, we got there, and, like, everyone's like, oh, what the fuck are with these questions, man? Yeah, there was a couple of people who were pissed at me for that, so... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. But if you get a chance, definitely um, uh, go back two albums from this one and high Death Lovers High and Dry. Oh, I fucking I'm rules. Like, I think oh. I think I've listened to a little bit of that one too. Love it. As I was growing up, um, my first uh, music video that I remember ever seeing as a kid was uh, Let's Get Rocked. <laughs> oh man! Uh, See, I remember waiting for that video. Because wow. I was a fan from this, and I remember, you know, then Steve Clark died, and it was this huge wait for that video, and sure. uh, I was all excited about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that video was insane as a kid, because the dude's like, want to get rocked, and I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, heck yes. yeah, yeah, let's <laughs> yeah, get rocked, this rocked. sounds cool, man. <laughs> and uh, and then that video is just nothing but, uh, like, just really cool, like, animation and stuff. It's oh, like at the time, a, that like would have new... been a crazy expensive video. It, it, yeah, yeah, it was like a brand new style of animation at the time, and I was like, this is futuristic and sweet, man. Like, let's... <laughs> I'm totally all in, It totally felt like that you know? when it came out. It was like, wow, we're seeing the future of what videos in rock are, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, like, Barbie Girl was, like, another one that sticks out from when I was a kid. But other than that, uh, yeah, that was, like, the first big... Music video that I was like. You, you mentioned uh, Rush, and I just noticed uh, this morning when I got up, it was been one year ago today that Neil Peart died. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's right. Wow. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So it's an so anniversary to that. Damn. I actually just read an interview with with uh, Alex and uh, Getty, 
And they were talking yeah. about basically how hard it was for that last... After they got done touring for about the last two years before Neil died, how hard it was for them to, to like not talk about it and avoid it. And right. I mean, I uh, read all the metal pages during that whole time, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would see all these different Alex Lifeson, Getty Lee interviews, and they were always just like, we just don't want to do anything. And they would just find any way they could to sort of dance around what was going on. And Yeah. Because yeah, they said that. It was, like, it was really hard to straight up lie to people because that's eventually what we ended up doing. Right. Because yeah. he asked, asked him we, not to talk about it. He specifically said, could you please not talk about it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, my hat's off to him for all shutting up about it and just being, you know, yeah. it's our stuff. You don't need to be part of this. And, right. Yeah, there's a great article in the new Rolling Stone that just came out about uh, Neil Pert and his life. And, like, you know, and, and they have some interviews with Alex and, and Getty in there, too. Um, not that we're, we, I know, I know we diverge a little bit, but like, I guess we shouldn't turn this into the Rush <laughs> podcast. But uh, <laughs> it's a really good article, though. If you're well, a fan of Rush, when Greg was here for reading. his, we verged off into the Grateful Dead. That's shit, right. So, like, whatever. That's true. You know what I mean? <laughs> It happens. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure a lot of the guests, we've veered off into a local music discussion of some sort or another. Right, yeah. That's true. There is there is precedent. Yep, I could keep the tangent going, but I'll, I'll try not to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were there any albums, uh, other, any other like albums similar to Hysteria that you remember growing up with that were like, you know, that, that stick out for you? Um... I really loved Toys in the Attic. Nice. Uh, uh, that's growing up. Yeah. That's a classic. Yeah. Um, I still love it. It sits on my shelf. Yeah. I think there was something about, I mean, even on this album, Hysteria, um, there's something about some of the lyrics that felt really adult. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, sure. And, you know, without of, I, I didn't have any context for what they were singing about. Yeah. Uh, some of the times. But, but when I got to middle school and I was like, Man, love does bite. I was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck. like, I got to middle school and I was like, love bites. Was like, fuck, these guys were talking about some real shit, you know. And yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah as a seven-year-old, I was like, big ten inch, hell yeah. I was big like, ten, yeah. you know, I played that song for my grandma once, and uh, and she just laughed and laughed. And, uh, <laughs> she's like, he's not talking about a record, is he? <laughs> 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 my oh, parents own that album that's how i got it yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because my dad you know would uh love for me to listen to stuff like that but then when i would you know ask him questions about hey what's this actually mean he'd be you know kind of skirting around it and stuff so mm-hmm. listening back now it's kind of kind of funny to, oh okay to be like oh okay yep I, sorry I to back you into that corner dad yep yep <laughs> i mean you did it to yourself to a certain extent but you know yeah do you have a favorite song off of the record off of hysteria yeah um i'd have to see it can i see the you get choices oh man you got I can't remember that, any of the names, but love <laughs> love bites is always a big one. Um, what am I looking? I'm honestly not sure. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, there's like around the whole thing. Oh yeah, that's right. It goes all the way around yeah. the border. List too. Love bites and pour some sugar. Yeah. On me were like the biggest ones. Yeah. And then listening through again, Animal was one that I really liked. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That, that's one of my favorite ones on here, too. Um, and then Gods of War is a sweet song, too, that I hadn't really remembered until I listened to it last night. And I had forgotten about that one, too. Well, it's yeah. one of the few, you know, that aren't 
there it wasn't a hit. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there were so many other hits. You feel like you hear the whole album on the radio. Or yeah. At the time you did, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and you know, being being so young when it was around when it came out, I obviously I wasn't even born yet when it came out, but uh, but yeah, listening listening through it, I could see why there were so many hits on there for sure. Yeah. So what what kind of music are you? What kind of stuff do you listen to mostly these days? Um, I listen to a lot of hip hop um, mm-hmm. in general, and I've gotten into kind of like neo soul type stuff, just more chill and and I don't know. I'm I'm chilling out as I'm getting older into my early thirties, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so neo neo soul you're talking like Charles Bradley or what, what kind of um, I've been listening to a lot of Hiatus Coyote if you know that band at all I don't they're from no. Australia okay um, some of the best musicians I've seen as far as like a live setting I haven't seen them live but I've seen recordings and they're pretty okay. insane and together um, there's some other stuff uh like kind of more jazzy stuff, um, a band called Moonchild. Okay. Um, just they're like a three piece. The Moonchild trio that Zorn put together. Because <laughs> I, I know a Moonchild also. <laughs> I I don't know. At least the one that the, the one that I listen to. Uh, I'm gonna guess John Zorn and Neo Soul don't go together. <laughs> so I'm gonna guess it's a different group. Yeah, there was this dude Joey Barone playing the drums. Who's one of these people who's worked with everybody? Mike Patton doing vocals and then okay, yeah, the bass player. <laughs> yeah, definitely not the same thing then. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, they all play um, wind instruments. And then two of the dudes do um, like drums on keyboards. And then the woman sings. And okay, they go around and they must do looping stuff live. And I don't know. It's, it's really great. But... Nice. But yeah, just just kind of more chill stuff uh, nowadays, and um, a lot of the rap I listen to is more politically active type stuff, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, you know, yeah. Rappers have always been like, I mean, well, not always, but like in general, they they talk about issues and talk about more political things and stuff. And there's certainly a lot to talk about these days. So. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, Listening back to a lot of the stuff that I've liked since high school, as far as hip hop stuff goes, um, with twenty twenty eyes, um, which is sad to say that I'm late to the party, this late to the party, but picking up on a lot more stuff that I hadn't before that's embedded in the lyrics. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's yeah. always been always been there. And in kind of an interesting thing, like a lot of different connections from what you're saying is a uh, uh, one of the 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 pour some sugar on me is like sort of like influenced by rap rock and it was influenced by the run dmc aerosmith um cover of walk this way i could totally hear that yeah yeah so that's kind of <laughs> um i don't know what song it was but i picked up just that line walk this way as in one of these songs mm-hmm. too and i was just like is this like from that same yeah. era of, of walk this way did they pick up from yes. each other somehow <laughs> yeah. like yeah yeah, a few years after, but like not not very far. Sure, sure. 
I was like, was that just a common thing to tell people to do back in the 80s? Was, <laughs> hey, you walk this way. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. I don't remember that being a popular catchphrase. I remember it was a very... young Frankenstein joke. <laughs> oh, walk this way. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so what's it like being a butcher? Um, yeah. This year, it's very interesting. Uh, say, has the pandemic changed what being a butcher is like? Not much, really. Okay. Um, it's kind of amplified things. The rude people are more rude, and the nicer people are nicer, you know? Okay. You know, on the customer uh, side of things? On the customer side of things. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, protecting coworkers and protecting myself, it hasn't been anything more than put a mask on. It's like kind of the bare minimum it feels like there because we're still right. kind of on top of each other back in the in yeah. the meat department but which kind of sucks um sometimes i wish i had a job that i could do from home or mm-hmm. was just more concerned about you know protections but, right yeah without the anxiety of going in and yeah but yeah just uh the job itself is not that bad um i generally work early in the morning and get off and the afternoon sometime and I'm not there too late and uh, as long as you can not uh, I guess you can compartmentalize uh, how many animals you process in a week (laughs) (laughs) I don't know man sometimes I feel like I'm part of the problem you know in the bigger scheme of things you know but yeah but I'm yeah we're in Iowa so this is a very meat you know, very carnivorous state, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, man. I mean, I try to be socially aware and conscious, and it's like a yeah, yeah. I've got like two different wolves inside of me, and one's like, "You need this money because it pays pretty well for not having a degree." Sure. And the other side of me is like, "You're, you know, just throwing away so much plastic in a day, and mm-hmm. and it's all the." all the methane and stuff that is produced from cows and all that and just bigger picture stuff. It's kind of, I don't know. I hope to not be in this job five years from now, I guess. Yeah. Okay. You know? Okay. At the very least. <laughs> yeah. Not, a, not a career choice. Not, not for me anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's some interesting stuff being done with, uh, non meat meat. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. There are some like markets popping up that are like fake meat markets. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in stuff like that, I guess. Yeah, like so. the Beyond Burgers and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know I saw something about a market that's got more options as far as fake meat goes now. And mm-hmm. you can walk in and get a a fake slice of ham and a fake slice of turkey. And you can get a fake T-bone or whatever. And Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. There are going to be more options as far as that stuff goes in the future, so... Yeah, I I, th- I think in terms of that stuff, in terms of being like a vegetarian, um, I'm I'm not a vegetarian, but like uh, uh, for health reasons, uh, I've started like uh, having at least you know a number of vegetarian meals in a in a given week just to mm-hmm. help on the health side of things. It's also like not so great for your health in terms of cholesterol and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I I just did a sampling of all of the vegetarian chorizo sausage offerings out there. Okay. Um, and and I had a really good time with that actually. Um, sure. And there's some great options out there as far as I. 
can tell like you being it's a really great time for being a vegetarian because they're really catering to that crowd right now um which is you know and, and on top of like the growing number of vegetarians all the social issues you're talking about and all the you know and climate change and all of that stuff too it's it's nice to have options like that yeah i mean climate change is the biggest thing we've got right now if we don't solve that nothing else is going to matter yeah which is scary and dark and all that but right and doesn't seem to be at the top of the priority list at no, the moment not either at all. <laughs> i mean yeah. yeah with what happened this week how can it be you know right yeah yeah yeah, it seems like, as far as I can tell, surviving a pandemic is like the top of the list, which is not bad. So, you know, self-survival, that does make sense. But like, you know, we definitely have some, you know, political issues we need to figure out. Um, but then, yeah, climate change should be at the top of the list. We should be like figuring out how to survive on our planet. But, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll generally people are thinking like, well, we'll get there. Um, yeah. And and hopefully we do in some ways sooner than later, because it's not that problem is not going away anytime quick for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it's like working at a meat department. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious. I had nothing in my experience even close to that. So, um, yeah. Um, the coworkers really make the job, definitely. Okay. And uh, where I'm at, it could be better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and probably they don't listen to hair metal podcasts, so we'll be okay. <laughs> I, think, I think we're pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about being a musician during a pandemic? Um, I'll just touch on it briefly. I have... It sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Um, I started tracking a bunch of songs right as everything like went to shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've got two bands that I play in, and one of my bandmates, David Ashison, you guys know him, Yep. Um, he hasn't been working since this whole thing started mm-hmm. and um, has been very safe as far as not seeing people. And, you know, so have I. I haven't really been seeing people at all. But, um, but yeah, we haven't had a practice since this thing whole all started, really, yep. um, as a full band at all. Um, I've jammed with my drummer, Tony, one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in general, I've just felt really uninspired um i felt depressed towards the beginning of all this Mm -hmm. um with the initial um lockdown phase and stuff and just seeing how people weren't um adhering to guidelines and stuff and just knowing that you know pretty much right away that this is going to be a long time thing you know yeah um and just kind of trying to accept that early on. Um, but yeah, it did a number on me as far as music stuff. Um, I'm just now starting to get back into looper stuff and uh, finally have figured out a way to set up my small apartment to have my whole setup with both guitars and drums set up. So now that I can leave that up all the time, it's made it a lot easier to sit down and, and just do it all the time. But... But yeah, not knowing when the next show is going to be and all that is just weird. And, you know, usually you've got that thing to look forward to every, at least, you know, every month. You know, you yeah usually got like a show a month, if not, you know, more than that. Um, but yeah, not having that's been rough and not seeing everyone and not 
dude, it hit me the other day really hard uh, that, you know, our local venue, DG's Staff House, closed down before all this even happened. Right. So it wasn't a great scenario anyway going into and, it. And... Yeah. And uh, I was watching videos of one of my old bands, Dr. Murdoch, on New Year's Eve because it hit me. This is the first New Year's Eve that I hadn't been playing a show in like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe five or six years. Yeah. So New Year's Eve was kind of rough. I was just sitting there kind of down about all that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then I was watching a video of Evan Campbell playing Birds in the Morning at DG's Step House, and I was like, wow, I'm never going to get that same feeling from that same place ever again. It's never coming back. Yeah, that so, venue is definitely closed for good. So Yeah. It's, uh... it's just, yeah, so it's just been a rough year. I know I said I was going to keep it short, but, you know. Oh, that's okay. Didn't, didn't do that. yeah well and and they're starting to distribute vaccines and all that stuff so hopefully i mean there's an hopefully it seems like there's a light at the end of the tunnel but i think uh i don't i think that tunnel might be longer than what a lot of people are anticipating um you know they're so good at branding and so bad at follow-through with that operation warp speed like right right like that sounds great and then it just yep didn't really go that quickly yeah. Yeah, the coordination between the the people at the top and the people putting the uh vaccines in the arms are not it's just not there, you know. Yeah. I did see uh this last week uh a friend of mine on Facebook uh got the vaccine and she's not in the health professional field or anything like that. She's mm-hmm. she's just somebody who works in a small town at a I want to say like an eyeglass store or something like that. Um, and and so that gave me a little bit of hope. I thought, well, if they're becoming available at that level, um, that 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 made me think like maybe it's going a little more quickly than what I think. Um, I haven't. I've just assumed that it's all been healthcare workers and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Was too. You know, no, and, and, and nursing yeah, homes and, and things like that, um, which is where it should go. I you know definitely. Um, but I haven't even looked into when it's available for uh, my wife and I just because I thought you know there's no point in looking until the people who really need it who are on the front lines are vaccinated. But if it's starting to get to that level already, that's encouraging. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I still don't, you know, there's the whole herd immunity factor and things like that, that needs to happen. And I, I still think we're months, month, you know, months and months away from like, you know, considering, you know, gatherings and things like that. But like, I don't know, I'm not an epidemiologist and, yeah. and all that stuff, but it just, it seems like at this point, like, you know, things are happening and moving towards resolving it, but like, it, it's, it's going to be a while. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it does go quickly, it's going to be a, another weird year, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I think this, they canceled South by Southwest already for the year. Yeah. Right? And that's like in September or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm seeing some tours being scheduled and stuff. I don't know whether they'll keep those dates and hold those dates. And yeah. I, and I, have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if it's, it's a good tentative idea. at this point. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems like everything's got to be tentative. But uh, I and, and I know somebody locally that has rescheduled their tour um, like three or four times now. Wow. Um, it's a local artist named Mississippi Jake, and he he had a tour lined up with another guy, and they were um, they were planning to go out and hit the road and do that stuff. You know, pandemic hit, they bumped it. You know, and it didn't seem like things were going better. They bumped it again, and I think he's just bumped it into like maybe May now. And, you know, and I wish him luck. I hope that 
things will be okay in my yeah, May, but yeah. I'm also like May seems really soon to me at the at this point too. So um, hard to know. Yeah, May is coming right up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it at the moment, but like it'll be here before you know. <laughs> yeah, with the way time's been this year, it felt like. May just happened yesterday. Right. Last May, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, it, time's really kind of lost definition for me. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I had a super weird birthday. Sorry to no, no. Yeah. keep this away from hysteria. But, uh, but yeah, my pandemic birthday, I spent alone watching the third precinct burn down in Minneapolis. Um, oh, geez. Right yeah. after the George Floyd protests. And, it was just such a strange time, man. And I just sat there alone in my in my apartment on my birthday, and I was like, "This is wild. This is truly." truly it has wild. been a wild but, year, a couple of years, you know, really. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Time's just been weird. It has been weird. <laughs> well, thank you for making time to come on the the podcast today. Oh, of course, and, and of course. Thanks for coming over and and, and you know, yeah. uh, and, and doing this with us. Um, you know, and thank you guys for listening. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Hope you guys are doing well out there and, uh, we will be back hopefully sooner than later. All right. See you everybody. Right. Bye-bye. Awesome.